Welcome to Black Writer Therapy, a podcast where Black women writers are invited to sit on the proverbial couch, have a cup of tea, and share the stories behind the stories, and what it really takes to write books about Black women in an industry that still prefers white as the default. I'm your host, published author and unlicensed therapist, Alishine. Black Writer Therapy is now in session. Suzette Riddick is a wife, mother, and nurse practitioner who enjoys writing about imperfect people finding perfect love. She is an Amazon best-selling author and featured in USA Today Happy Ever After. A native of Philadelphia, PA, Suzette loves to travel, read, and she's addicted to Chanel perfume. And now here's your host and unlicensed therapist, Ella Sean. Hi, thank you so much, Ms. Suzette Riddick, for agreeing to be a uh a guest here on the Black Writer Therapy podcast and sit in my proverbial therapy couch. You are welcome. I'm so excited to be here, Ella, and thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I've been getting that a lot, and I've just been like, no, really, you guys are providing me (laughs) this great opportunity. I'm shocked every time someone says yes, I'm really just like, okay. Yay me. <laughs> Yay, both of us. <laughs> yes, indeed. So I start every episode off uh, by asking my my guest a question that I don't think is asked quite enough. So Suzette, how are you healing today? I am doing well. Um, I started therapy actually um, during the time of um, COVID. I'm a nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. And um, oh. yeah, I'm a nurse practitioner. Yes. Um, at the time, I also was strictly working with um, sickle cell patients. And I've been working with them over 32 years. And when I first started, patients were living as long as you're living now. So um, it really, I don't know, it's just something that happened with um, uh, George Floyd's murder (laughs) that I don't know was just like the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back like and I hadn't realized that you know all those years of taking care of those patients it was like trauma upon trauma so I started Mm -hmm. therapy I started journaling um I had I need to find a new therapist but um I have continued with my um journaling like getting my feelings down so I'm healing I'm on a good I'm on a good path I'm on a good path (laughs) thank you for sharing that I and thank you for like just being of service being willing to serve I think as as a as a former teacher most of us don't recognize the vicarious traumas we Mm -hmm. we carry yes um so it was just like when you when you said that, I was like, whoa, that kind of hit mm-hmm. right here. Because it was, yeah, I taught for 14 years and you just don't you don't recognize that you are internalizing. You really don't. All of yes. that. All of that. All of that. And and I feel like those of us who are in service and helping professions, like we're always so conditioned like to help other people, but we never 
get the help that we need. Right. And it's a really disservice. <laughs> right. And the, and you've been at it for 32 years. Yes. You are to be commended. Like I, you know, really being a nurse and a nurse practitioner, I can't imagine. And then the intersectionality of all of that. So not only are you a nurse practitioner, you are a woman and you are a black woman. And taking care of black patients that look like um, me and just, uh, you oh. know, even that is traumatizing, like trying to advocate for sickle cell patients on a daily basis. And I'm coming up against other people, other providers who don't look like me, but they're in this profession to take care of patients. And there's a lot of, you know, judgment and, you know, stigma attached to sickle cell patients because they're black and they require opioids to manage their pain. And it's just, it's exhausting. (laughs) Well, you know what? I'm dealing with a chronic illness Mm -hmm. that brings chronic pain, chronic fatigue, Mm -hmm. and then it affects every system in the body Mm -hmm. and having to prove to providers that I am not mentally unstable, that I am not a drug addict. Yep. You know, that I am not trying to get a check. I, mm-hmm. I want to feel better. I yes. want to feel better. It was like pulling teeth. I know. I know. I know. And so to have someone like you there to advocate for your patients, seriously, kudos. And thank you for being there for them. Um, because it's just, it's ridiculous. It is. It's ridiculous. And most people, you know, they don't understand it until they walk in the patient's shoes or they have a family member, you know? Yeah. So you are from Philadelphia. Yes. Originally. Born and raised, still here. Okay. Okay. Cool beans. Yeah. Me too. South Carolina, Columbia, born and raised, still here. So we have you uh, in Philadelphia and does that play a huge role in your writing? It does. It does. Um, all of my books and characters are from the Philadelphia area and surrounding suburbs. So yeah, I, I love writing about home because it's familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And um I love when a reader reach out to me and say, oh yeah, I know where that is, what you talked about in the book. I actually use- I real- love that too. Yeah, yeah. I, I use real places in the book. So I'm like, you yeah. never know if someone reading your book, you know, they may want, you know, to visit some of the places. So I, I don't use very, it's very rare that I'll use a fictional location, but for the most part, I use, you know, real places in Philly. I love that. I, I do that too. I actually go through and map out like if they're going to be leaving from one place and going to like on a trip, I'm like mapping it out so that I can make sure I have the right the right directions and the roads <laughs> yes, and all that research, stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. So um, I love that you, you write about Philly and you write about Philadelphians, Black Philadelphians in yeah. such a way that I don't know that we see them often portrayed. Right. And so why yes. is that so important to you? Look, I, I, I'm not <laughs> politically correct. I promise you there's no PC person in my life. Okay. So if, if I say something rude, 
Oh, good. Well, we're vibing then because. Okay. Yeah. This is not that kind of show. Say what you want. Do what you want. It's really okay. I just want to talk to black women who write. Yes. Okay. Great. Because I feel like at 56, like uh, I'm just getting too old. I'm tired to censor my words. Like, <laughs> That's what happened to me. Look, and I'm not 56 and I, when I get 56, I hope I look like you. <laughs> Thank you. Good grief. Okay. So yes, go ahead and say what you want. So you write about Black Philadelphians in a way that they are not often portrayed in the media and all this stuff because Black people are portrayed. And that's what was so important for me, Ella, like when I started writing is I wanted to portray Black people with, you know, how I grew up. Like I, I didn't grow up, you know, rich. You know, my dad worked, my mom stayed at home. Um, money, of course, was always tight, but, you know, my dad was a good provider. Um, and I just wanted people to reflect my life. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. even though both of my parents, you know, they're not college educated. Um, you know, I was the first sibling, like to go to college and, you know, get a degree. Like I wanted people to look like me, to have the same experience you know, that, that I have. And, um, you know, just to show that we can love each other, like black men do stay, support their families and, you know, have marriages. And, you know, until my mom passed away, my parents were, you know, together for 55 years. So to me, it's not foreign to me to come from a, a stable, you know, home. Of course, you know, we had our issues and our trials and, you know, real life you know, stuff, but, um, yeah, like that's not, that's not foreign to me. And I wanted to show that in my books, because I think a lot of times, um, people do think that it's foreign. Like, I'm not saying that those other stories in the black community that they don't happen, but that's not all that happens. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I talk about that so much and I'm like, I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but I am going to talk about it until it, this, this, your kind of writing and the writing that, that I, I try to amplify, that becomes the norm. That showing Black people just living becomes yes. the norm instead of, yes, I get it. There's abject poverty in every community. Yes, there, you know, there are criminal elements in every community I get it however there is this huge swath of black America that's just going to work raising kids going on vacation starting businesses you know sitting at home in fluffy pjs and fluffy socks eating popcorn looking at Netflix there are just people who are out here living everything about black life isn't so sensational exactly thank you for showing us in the light that we truly shine in and not in some manufactured space that the media deigns to relegate black American culture to because okay I said I was gonna talk about it but oh well that's all right we won't talk about it (laughs) I can't help it it's my soapbox it is my soapbox Yeah, yeah and we have to talk about it because people need to know that that is not everyone's narrative you know Right. That, we are a multifaceted people like everybody else. Your most cathartic book to date. 
And thank you. You wrote so beautifully about it. Share it with the listening audience. I would honestly, I would say my most current release. Um, because Sammy is the last daughter in the series to get her book in um, Finally Yours. And if you read the series going back to my night series with the last book, Seductive Nights, you're introduced to the to the three sisters. In the, my ring light trying to yes. show there. <laughs> yes, that's finally yours. Um, you're introduced to her in the, the night series, Seductive Nights. That's the first sister's story, um, Alex's story. And you kind of see her go through this metamorphosis through each book and she comes off as like um a harsh unfeeling person but when you peel back the layers and in her book you you see where she gets into therapy and I thought that was really important to show because mm -hmm. she went through a lot of trauma with losing her mother at a very young age and put into a position of feeling like she had to raise her sisters, you know, helping her dad when she was a child herself. Mm -hmm. So it, for me that, you know, her journey and following up, you know, with her book, you just get to see like um, everything that, that she had to go to to get her to the point where she was and how she had other traumas in her life that people didn't even know about. Like her, those closest to her didn't even know about. Yes. So um, the big secret. The big secret. Yes, and and you kind of understand why she is, you know, who she is. Yeah. So. Yeah, and and honestly, I've not read the the two books in the series. Okay. But of course, <clears throat> when I tell you my TBR from this season alone is ridiculous yes I can okay okay so i i do i want to go back and read it but you did such a great job with this third book i don't feel like like when i read it i, I didn't feel like i was missing oh great okay anything and i'm gonna be honest with you i have no idea how you do that like i see writers do it and i'm like i have a four book series and it's like if you don't read book one, book four is going to make absolutely no sense. So finally yours is your your most cathartic book. And you said that the heroine since childhood suffers from trauma. The, um, the readers are introduced to it in the first books. We talked about that. Um, and then you said, that Black women, we are often made to believe that we have to be strong and endure pain, even from an early age. And I get that sense here, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm also a Black woman, and I know that that's the expectation. So how is it healing for you to write this book and to kind of blow that whole assumption to hell and back. I, you know, I just feel like as 
black women like it's expected of us to carry everything on our shoulders you know it's expected for us to be you know strong and not show emotion and not show feelings and i have to take care of every of everyone else and with sammy her the big thing with her is she had to learn like to let it's okay to let go like it's okay not to take care of everyone else and to take care of yourself to do that self-care because mm -hmm. unfortunately we're I just feel like our society has conditioned us to to be the caretakers of yeah of everyone and and not to take care of ourselves so mm -hmm. you know I'm, I'm hoping that that message readers get that message from sammy's from sammy yeah so did you get that message from sammy while writing her were you identifying at all I, with her i did and i and i feel like maybe i was able to um put so much into it because i you know like i said when i started therapy that was like one of the the things that was kind of like my breaking point like I was so used to you know being the caregiver taking care of everything and everyone and like you know family members coming to me with their you know their problems and their issues and things like that yes so um I had actually started the journey of self-care and taking care of myself yeah that's awesome that's awesome. I know I, I sometimes I read some of the things, uh, some of the, I call them rituals because it just helps me to, to kind of put them in place whenever, you know, daily or whatever. Um, and so when I'm reading books and I see, oh, and this is my self-care management right here. And it's a list of da-da-da-da-da. And it seems realistic. I'm like, oh, let me Google these things. And, and because if they sound interesting and they vibe with me, then I'm like, oh, wait, I think want to incorporate a little bit of this. And that's why I love that, that you do that, um, that you, you allow Sammy to, to love herself, mm -hmm. to come to love, I guess. Herself. Yeah, yeah. And, and to, you know, understand it's okay to ask for help. Like, that's another thing. Like, we don't ask. Oh, God. We don't. You know, we don't ask for help. So it that was, was the hardest thing I had to learn. Yeah, it is. Like it this is. whole book, I'm gonna tell you, um, just I'm gonna stop talking in a minute, because I just want to hear you talk about some things. But I want to tell you, this whole book resonated with my entire life from oh, childhood oh to right now oh wow okay. now and that's why i'm saying miss suzette riddick you're definitely doing it right i promise you you okay. are doing it and i'm looking at it and i'm like whoa did this woman eavesdrop on my life <laughs> but yeah it just it resonated so uh, so deeply with me you said that she has to be able to accept that she deserves happiness. yes can you talk a little bit about that Okay, let me, without giving too much of it away, um, because, you know, the, the secret that the family doesn't yes. know about, um, I'm hoping that I show, like, how she internalized that, and because of the decision that she made, she felt like she didn't 
deserve love. Mm-hmm. Because of choices that she made that were to her benefit. Yes. But did carry, you know, yes, a certain amount of internalized pain. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that that's definitely going to be um, a healing point for some of the readers who read this book who may have had to make that same exactly you know like Mm -hmm. yeah I think that because yeah look we have said absolutely nothing but we know what we're saying yes (laughs) get the book read the book and then go back and listen to this podcast episode and then you'll be like oh yeah yeah that that yes, because I don't want to feel it all in. Because um, <laughs> you can't. You can't. I didn't even realize. I'm so serious. Like I knew that it was like because it was alluded to that she had had some trauma in her childhood, and I thought, oh, that trauma is probably what's mm-hmm. causing this kind of aloofness and and yada yada yes. yada. So when when the secret came out in the book, I was like, wait a minute now. Mm-hmm. your thing because I had no idea and I was as unprepared to hear it as was Dexter yeah oh boy oh. yeah <laughs> okay yes so we are well into segment one intentional writing writing that heals it's become my favorite word intentions because we always talk about setting intentions or yeah you know moving I have intentionally. Thing in my planner that has intentions for the month and i'm like okay but wow is that something and so yes my def the only definition i know now for the word intention intentionality intentional mm-hmm. is the healing definition or right the medical one the healing process of a wound and that's that's what I celebrate here. How black women writers heal. They have become a part of the process of healing wounds for themselves and their readers. I absolutely like it. Boom. That's what we do. We're healers, yes. all of yes. us. So we're Wonderful. deep into the healing process, right? The healing process that writing has has gotten us into. And I wanted to talk about um in your book, finally yours, there are three sisters, Sammy, Alex, and Joey. Yes. Now, these are all their nicknames, yes? Yes. Did you realize they were all masculine or I did they could and be that, masculine? That's intentional. I, I obviously did that, yeah, yeah. I did that um because the father never had daughters. I'm I'm sorry, never had sons. So it was just kind of something that the mother and the father, you know, did with picking their names. And that I was looking at it, I was like, Samantha, I'm saying Alex is Alexandria. Yes. And Joey, Josephine. Josephine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was like, hmm. She could have been Alexa, right? And so I'm just going through and saying that she could have been Maddie. Yes. You know, could have been Josie. But no, all of them are masculine names. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was so interesting. And then 
hearing you say that the mother and father did that because they didn't have sons, how does that read for the girls? And did they know that they have these masculine nicknames because their father wanted boys? Well, no, um, it actually, you learn in, let's see, who book do we learn it in? The, the mother and father's journey actually started with them dating and the mother becomes pregnant. The first baby is actually a boy, but he's born, stillborn. Oh. So the, the couple, they have to make a decision. Are they going to stay together and love each other? Or now that they have the stillborn child, are they like, okay, well, we got married, you know, because we we're young, we got pregnant, but they made the decision to stay together and they really, you know, grew to love each other until the mother passed away. So moving forward, it was kind of like that hope that the baby would be a boy child and each time it's a girl. So they gave them, you know, the boy nickname. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So they, they do learn about, because they always were under the assumption that Sammy was actually the oldest and she really isn't. The stillborn child was the oldest. That was, that was the boy. So they don't, they don't learn that until they're actually like, adult women yeah okay okay very good um you tackle some serious topics here mm -hmm. in this book and I always wonder like why you're so drawn to showing the difficulty but of course the triumph but we're drawn to telling the hard stories um I find so and some people don't think this is a difficult situation, but I know for certain that it is. Sibling relationships, rivalry, uh, discord, however you want to, you know, say it, that dynamic, and especially between three sisters, like this is like war. Yes. And I am not exaggerating. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating. I, I am in the trenches. I've been in the trenches. I'm telling you, you, you did it justice because you had every personality right. I promise. Oldest sister, middle sister, baby sister. And it's something about the placement of the child that fits the personality mm -hmm. and look yeah <laughs> i was reading you know back and forth that oh i'm so tired of you doing this da, da, da. and i'm like this this is my life yes i mine swear too. to bob this woman <laughs> has written my life so are you one of three sisters i am ah i'm actually one of four and i'm the baby of the bunch so it's so funny because it was so easy for me to write because like those three are definitely <laughs> my sisters. Um, and so what's the, the underlying contention with the sister? Does it fall on Sammy completely? 
or is it kind of a codependent situation? I think it's kind of both because with the other two sisters being so, Sammy was only 12 when her mother died. Mm-hmm. So of course the other two were younger and initially, yes, I feel like the sisters were codependent, but as they, you know, grew older and into their own womanhood and, you know, the one is actually a mother, um, you know, they kind of outgrew that, you know, dependency on Sammy, but, mm-hmm. you know, Sammy, she just didn't want to let go. Like she, yes you know, always want to be like, I'm the one in charge and want to tell you what to do, what not to do. And, you know, even at 56, like, I still get that from my sisters, like, you know, like, well, you're the baby, you don't know any better. And, you know, this is what you should do. And I'm just like, wait a minute, I'm a whole grown woman with a husband, (laughs) a career. (laughs) Or two, two careers. Yes, two careers. So yeah, so it was um, it was pretty, you know, easy for me to, you know, to to write that, you know, that dynamic, and I'm I'm glad it came off as authentic because I I oh. really drew from <laughs> personal experience. I'm telling you, I I'm telling you you must have had like a periscope through the veil into this whole situation. I saw that dynamic in play and it was just, it was eerie and weird. Cause I was like, the, <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I was in the twilight zone. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's something. <laughs> oh, it's weird. That's, I have never that's had weird. that happen to this degree. Wow before so letting go the need of control you said sammy had a big problem with that and so how do you see that playing out not so much in like in in your family and things like that but if there are black women out there who feel like i'm just gonna hold on to all of it right the good the bad the ugly i'm just gonna keep it here say to them right as you would be talking to Sammy or how does Sammy's plight help them understand that there's a different road to take I would um and again I'm, I'm drawing on my experience of of working with uh, you know adult patients um I feel like and I'm pretty sure you can you, you can attest to that and I to this and our community it's so taboo for us to talk to people like you know don't tell people your business like you know just keep this family business right here you know we don't need to be talking to <laughs> you know other people outside of the family and I think that that has served us as a disservice and I think it's like ingrained in us to hold on because I think we're conditioned we've been conditioned to hold everything in and not to seek and not to seek help um and even now when I'm dealing with my with my patients um my practice has expanded I work with um in addition to sickle cell patients I also work in with patients with um blood disorders Hmm. um 
so like I come across a lot of, you know, a lot of patients um, that look like us and, you know, believe it or not, half of the visit is they come in. And I don't know. I always say I must have therapists written across my forehead because I'm like, I'm supposed to be talking to you about your iron deficiency anemia, but they just come in and they just literally unload and just like tell me everything that's that's going on in their lives and, you know, their psychosocial issues and their relationship issues. And I'm like, okay, but we got to get back to your hemoglobin. Being. What we supposed to be doing, but you are healer. But I can't like... I can't like bypass that when they come to me. So, you know, like I, I talk to them and, you know, I always say, you know, I, I think therapy will be good for you. You know, talk to your primary care physician about getting into therapy. And I even share with patients, you know, especially, you know, patients that look like us because that is such a taboo for us to see a therapist. And I let them mm-hmm. know, like, listen, even I've gone to like therapists like, to deal with issues like it's you know it's it's okay like to to do that and of course you know I do you know I I tell patients like you know you can check what your insurance you can request you know African-American therapist you can request a female therapist you can request you know um yeah and I and I always recommend that because I honestly I feel like just in general we we do better when we have people that look like us taking care of us Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we do yeah that's that's the truth that is the truth and I love that you take the time to see the whole patient um and and meet them where they are Mm -hmm. and I think that you hit a really important point when you said black people as a whole we are very paid you know very close to our chest Mm -hmm. don't my my grandmother used to say you don't wear no dirty drawers outside of your clothes, do you? Uh, no, grandma, <laughs> right. I would not. Then don't don't go toting information about your about what's going on in your house, right? All over the place, and right. you just grow up hearing that. And mm-hmm. then when things are going on in your house that are to your detriment, mm-hmm. you don't. You feel like I can't go talk about it. Mm-hmm. I can't share this with someone who could maybe help me get some perspective, and right. so. A lot of us are just kind of stuck in there. Yes. Um, and there is a slight, I don't want to say slight, but there's some alcohol abuse. I don't want to call it alcoholism because I don't know that it's an addiction so much as a crutch. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I love that you do that because not all alcohol, not all like oh I overindulge in alcohol that doesn't necessarily mean you have the disease of alcoholism yes so is yeah. that important to to you to kind of have that differentiation or is it that I just made that distinction in my own my own head I think it's important um because you know one thing Ella I love doing is i enjoy writing characters that are not perfect um and I you know I'll tell my I'll tell my own story so we went through a a few years back we went through this whole 
big upheaval where I was running the center where sickle cell patients could go and get treated to bypass the, you know, going into the ER. And we had these new people that came into the institution and they closed it down. I had to start, you know, still take care of the sickle cell patients, but in a different, you know, department. And it just was so much stress. Mm-hmm. So me and my coworker, and, and then just, you know, fighting to get the patients what they needed. So it's very stressful. So on Fridays, we would go to, go to happy hour and I have my little, you know, Jolly Rancher martini. And so I know we went another, the following Friday, we went to happy hour and I had to say, you know what, dang, man, but I, this damn job ain't going to turn me into no drunk now. And it's, and it's kind of <laughs> like, you can, <laughs> you can see how stress, you know, like how stress can actually it starts off so innocent, you know, but I feel like I had the wherewithal to be like, yo, wait a minute. Like, this is what I need to go into my, into my, my, my prayer closet and pray and, and pull my Bible out and read some scriptures and, you know, do whatever I got to do because this going off the happy hour every Friday, like, I'm like, no, I said, Lord, I said, Jesus, this job is not going to turn me. <laughs> and too, I drunk. I love that. So I, you know, it, it's like, I, I really tr- want to show things that like really happen that can really, truly, that can really, truly happen. Yeah, you did. So yeah, because people, again, I say this, people who are in these positions where they are constantly taking care of people and they become a part of the institution in which they take care of people. Because mm-hmm. at some point, I, as a teacher, I felt like I was just, a, I was like the desk, right? I, I was a, like the desk in the classroom because people stop seeing you as a human being. They start seeing you as this kind of thing that mm-hmm. is the giver, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, yes. and to stop being seen as a whole person, mm-hmm. like that is devastating to the spirit and it does yes. horrible things to the mind. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I could, I could see because red wine used to be my best friend. Like mm-hmm. red wine was my best friend. <laughs> That's yep. all I've got to say. Yep. Red wine and Netflix. And so, yeah, I, I could see poor Sammy giving in to the bottle. That's cool. We have all been there. Yeah. Yep. We've been there. So, do you have a special audience that you write for? I do. You know, I was under the disillusion when I first started that, you know, I want everybody to read my books. I want, you know, young people, old people, black people, white people. But now I've matured. (laughs) And my audience definitely, I would say, is the African-American woman probably most likely mid to late 30s up until I have readers that are like in their 80s. So anywhere between those four decades. Mm-hmm. I One of my sorors, her mother, and I'll be like, oh my God. Ugh. Her mother was in <laughs> the 90s reading my books and I was like, oh God. Don't say hey to your mama. And she was like, oh, my mother loves your book. I'm just like, okay, thank you. 
but you know it was I was just like oh because I have some stuff in my books but um (laughs) (laughs) and you know I, I was happy that you know she was able to you know escape and enjoy and maybe it made her feel young again I don't know but she said that you know before her mother passed she would read my books that's pretty awesome so yeah that's pretty a 90 year old woman finding enjoyment in your books I would I'd probably be a little cringy but also yeah you 90 year old (laughs) enjoying enjoying the romance and yeah, when you said I was disillusioned, I already knew where you were going to go. Most Black writers start out because we just want to be writers, right? We just want to yeah. be writers. But the industry and society, mm-hmm. the world will mm-hmm. not allow us to be mm-hmm. writers. We, we have to be Black women writers. Yep. And for me, I think the most crushing um, thing for me was I started reading romance at the age of 15. Mm-hmm. So when I started reading romance, nobody looked like me on the covers. Okay. I had corn silk hair with blue eyes and yes. fair skin, but I loved the story. For me, it was the romance of the story. Like I necessarily didn't see that they were white characters mm-hmm. so you know it being naive when I started writing I'm like oh well if I can enjoy their books they should be able to enjoy mine then you know you hear this well oh well we can't uh you know well, we don't identify with that why don't you like I I read Danielle Still, I read Jackie Collins, I read Sydney Shelton. I mean, of course I read, you know, um, Terry McMillan and Jay California Cooper and, uh-huh. you know, Maya Angelou. You know, I, I also read the, the Jerome Dickey. I also read like the Black authors, but I also read white authors. And to me, a good story is a good story. Exactly. But when you tell me you can relate to someone shifting into a dragon, but you can't relate to two, you know, they write that dragon. Yes, I know. I I love fantasy. I love a good dragon love story. (laughs) But you can relate to that, but you can't relate to two Black people being in love. And I'm just like. How does that work? Explain that to me. That's what I want to know. Yeah. And I get you. Because I don't care what I read, if it's a good story and it keeps my attention, mm-hmm. even a good dragon shifter story, mm-hmm. then I'm going to read it because mm-hmm. I don't have to be centered in order to to appreciate right. a good story. Exactly. And I think that was the lesson that taught me, okay, Chip, you are a Black writer mm-hmm. and yep. you are writing for Black people. Yes. Because... Apparently, white folk don't have the intellectual capabilities. Yes. Uh, and when I say white folks, I mean white folks in publishing don't have mm-hmm. the intellectual ability to read a book and enjoy the story and not have to be centered. And of course, caveat, I am not speaking of all white yes. publishing 
industry personnel. But it's enough of them out there to gatekeep entry. Yes, exactly. So, um, yeah, I got real clear about my audience in the same way that you did um, because I had, I was forced to realize that I am a Black writer and not a writer who is Black. Yes, cool. It's cool. Oh. I, I'm so, <laughs> I'm so at peace with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so at, I'm so at peace with it. So, yeah, I I'm not so much at peace with it yet because I'm early in the game. Like I've only been writing five years, seriously writing. There's this huge part of me that wants to revolutionize publishing. <laughs> I want it to be just leveled yes I want our to be norm and not other yes I think if it's going to happen it's going to happen through black women writers mm-hmm. um and probably white women will get the credit like everything else like everything that's else. how that is going to yeah yes yes <laughs> like with romance think, of America I was really considering joining that because I thought I wrote romance for a while and I realized I don't really care about writing an ATA. I don't care if my characters end up happy or not because you know it's not my thing right but I looked at them and I was like wait a minute here what's going on yeah like spot 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 yeah and I was I was a member and I was a member of the local chapter um Thank God I looked out the local chapter I'm a member of when all that stuff like happened, you know, they disaffiliated. They just were like, we don't want no part of this. Um, wow. You know, like as things, episodes, you know, kept happening, I was going to sit back and see what, you know, what they want to do. Um, but but yeah, they they disaffiliated, so no longer a part of um, RWA, and um, that was one of the reasons why I continued um, to stay part of of the local chapter. Um, I would love to have a local group of writers that look like me, and but you know. I I hear that all the time too. And I'm like, like I'm in Columbia. And so I'm I'm affiliated with a writing association here. Mm -hmm. But usually I show up and it's just me in critique groups and at the activities. Yep. And not that I don't go and take up enough space for 20 of us, because I really do go take up enough space for 20 of us. (laughs) Go big or go home. But it would be so amazing to have a group of writer friends that were local that I could meet up with and not have to explain the why yes and the what before I can get the critique yeah that would be awesome and it's like I, I yeah I don't know what to do about that yeah I think that's another reason I started the podcast I'm like I need to at least know that there are black women writers out there and that we've seen each other, we've had a dialogue. So 
you know, I, I could possibly potentially email and say, hey, can you please pay this for me? Because it's not the same when you have someone who isn't. Yes, yes. Yep. Yeah. So I hope you find your tribe in Philly. I hope so too. <laughs> and I hope I find a tribe here in Columbia. Yes. <laughs> I think you're going to have a better chance in Philly. Probably, yes. Now we're going to take a break and pay some bills and then we'll be right back. We're back. All right. So we've been talking with uh, Suzette Riddick about her last, her latest novel, Finally Yours. And we've gone over the intentional writing, the healing that can be um, had and, and gotten from, from the book. And now it's time for us to kind of, are you ready, Ms. Riddick? Um, I, I'm ready. <laughs> but this isn't even the game part yet. It's not time to be like, oh, boy. This, uh, this uh, second segment is, it's really talking about what we were sliding into anyway, the audacity of being a Black woman writer mm-hmm. in an industry, in a world that really holds very little space, if any. Right for for us and for our talent and for our stories. Yes. Um, and yet so many of us are thriving. We are out here doing the thing, either via traditionally being published or self-publishing or establishing our own publishing companies and publishing through them. We are out here making moves. Yes. And that take some audacity would you agree i agree i agree so what made miss suzette reddick so audacious as to think i can be a published author i can write romance i can be i can do this so years ago when i was subscribed to um essence magazine I read an article um, about Tyler Perry and I read how, you know, with his first play, like he put every cent he had into it and it was a total flop. He said, no one came to see it. He lost his apartment. He had to sleep in his car and he said he just never gave up. He just believed in himself and he just you know, just kept going, kept writing the plays. And, you know, as I'm reading this, because I was a little nervous about, you know, putting the book out into the atmosphere and like, oh God, is anybody going to buy it and read it except for my mama? (laughs) (laughs) God rest her soul. Um, But, you know, when I read that article, it gave me so much encouragement. I said, you know, I'm a nurse practitioner. If I write this book and it's flop and don't nobody like it, don't nobody never buy it, I'm still going to eat. I'm going to be okay. Okay. (laughs) I said, this man like really believed in like his talent and his storytelling. And, you know, he just was so courageous to be able to do this and then to lose everything. And to continue to do it after he lost everything to see where he is now, 
And I was like, girl, go and put your book out there. And um, when I published my first book, uh, Special Summer, I had no intention on being an author. I thought I was going to write one book. It was going to be one and done. But then I started getting people, you know, emailing me. I'm like, okay, well, are we going to get the other characters three? So honestly, I really became an author on... <laughs> it wasn't intentional that I would, that I literally, it really wasn't. Like I, like I said, I thought, you know, I was going to write one book. It was going to be one and done, but it just really took on a life of its own. And, you know, at the time when I started writing, I had a lot of patients that were dying. So I really found writing to be very therapeutic mm. it was something that you know I could I could do to kind of you know again deal with the trauma that I didn't even realize I was yep. going through yep that's that's beautiful and I'm so happy that you you said oh I'm gonna do it I'm just gonna put it out there because mm -hmm. now we have you here yeah. with how many books under your belt oh 16 17 around there yeah how in the world do you find time I make time I um when I first started writing I actually was a nighttime writer I would just write on the weekends I would start writing um and I wasn't even typing I had books I would get the remember the big uh five subject notebooks I would buy the big five subject notebooks and I would just sit in bed and I would write after my kids went to sleep. So I would say from about 1130 Friday night, I would write until about four or five in the morning. I just would write, write, you know, go to sleep, get up, do what I had, you know, do with the kids, whatever, you know, get my day started. Same thing that Saturday night until four or five o'clock Sunday morning. And initially that that's how I, that's when I would do all my writing. Um, wow. And on vacations, you know, now I'm a little bit more structured. I do, I write um, after work. I usually write between like 8.30 to like 10.30 at night. So I, I always mm -hmm. try to get at least you know, nine, at least 90 minutes to two hours of solid writing in. Yeah. Um, on the weekends, I do write a little longer. And if I'm in um, my zone, like sometimes I'll go past, I have a, a word goal of 500 words each time I sit down to write. I usually exceed that, but I always set the goal so low. So if, you know, I don't get past, if I make it to the 500, I feel good that I've got some words down because mm -hmm. um, it's such a small, you know, word count. Um, and on the weekends, I, I'll write for stretches, you know, I'll write maybe like three, four hours. So that's, yeah. that's pretty much what I do. That's, yeah, that's pretty, pretty awesome. I, I remember working and then I was, I, I could not have been writing and working. Mm -hmm. I just, I, and I guess, I say that now because you know I I don't work anymore from home 
and yeah. I'm like full-time doing, you know, this writing thing and all of this. So yeah, I think if I, if the passion had bit me, like it was biting me before I got sick, I would have done it. Yes, you would have done it. I would have made the time. You would have made the time. Right. Because you like, yeah, your gift will make room for you. So yes. I think that's definitely, yes, that's pretty awesome. So when we're talking about audacity, I am obviously not a licensed therapist. I mean, obviously. However, if I were a licensed therapist and I offered only Black women writers their therapy sessions, what would make you want to come sit on my couch about dealing with the publishing industry overall? The representation of the Black writer and getting us our stories out. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, because I feel, for me, I feel like that's the most frustrating thing. Yeah. Um, knowing that you are putting work out there, but you, you're seen, but you feel like you're not being seen. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's difficult when I've been writing for so many years and then you see someone that just comes up because they don't look like you like they take off and they're books and movies now right like well what's so different about my story from their story like you know what was the it thing for them and you know sometimes that's just kind of you know if I'm keeping it real yes please you know that's yeah. kind of the, the frustration you know the frustration that's there so sometimes it's um you know you have to process those things up. but thank god I have a I call her my twin, Suzette Harrison. I love Suzette. <laughs> I, I love her too. I, you know, we're, we're kind of each other's there. You know, we have a call where we just kind of, you know, do what we're doing now, just chatting and. Yeah. Oh. That, look, Suzette. Counseling each other. <laughs> and I can see why she recommended you as well. Oh. Because yeah, the vibe is very much the same very much the same um but to your point I don't know that fresh my my feelings are kind of ambivalent so I, I hate that we need it there yes. I hate that we need the machine yes. that doesn't want our cause yes. but we need it and yes. I, I I hate that so mm -hmm. are you traditionally or self-published or hybrid? I'm self-published I in the past I've had been with a couple small publishing houses um but for me the self publish is a better fit because I get to tell my story the way I want to tell it and exactly if you had any advice for aspiring writer what would it be I would say which I didn't do I would say learn the business mm. learn the learn the business because I you know, in transparency, I didn't do my research. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of learned as I went along. And I feel like if I had taken at least six months to a year to really learn the ins and the outs of the business, I would have probably um, not made some of the mistakes I've made. But thank you know, God, I've learned from those mistakes. You know what I'm saying? Right. So you know, 
to me, nothing is wasted energy. Um, so, you know, I, I learned, yeah, I learned from them. So, but that yeah. would be, you know, that would be my advice. Learn, learn the business because it is a business and, you know, learn to treat it like one. Yeah. And not just the art, the artistry of it. I think I've had the most trouble in that same vein, like learning the business and and commodifying myself and my product. Yes. So um, I think that's great advice. Like one that I wish somebody would have given me. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> Five years ago. Look, I, I, I learned all the other things, but um, I did freelance editing for three years before I published my first book. And so I learned the ins and outs of the editing world, right? I, I knew all of that stuff. But as far as like, oh, now you are wanting to be an independent writer. What is that? Right. Right. What does it mean to be an artist entrepreneur? Yeah. Because it's different when when it's art, right? Yes. It's a different kind of, kind of beast. And if you had a message for the publishing industry as a whole, right? Everybody who has... A fingertip from you know in getting a book from manuscript into a bookstore onto those lists what what would that message be or what is that message Oof. you don't have to be pc be, i guess it would be <laughs> everybody's story is important yep um yeah everyone's story is important you are a nice woman <laughs> you are a nice nice woman and I appreciate that about you <laughs> I really do I really do okay um, <laughs> we're going to take a 15 second break and then we'll be back to play tell the whole story it's a word nerd girl moment it's time to get my word nerd girl on. You're going to play this game with me. Oh, Lord. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> it's time to tell the whole story. Not that you didn't just shut the book with that last statement, but it's time to tell the whole story. Here's how it goes. I'm going to give you five words. You're going to tell me five little anecdotal stories with each word, right? But that sounds weird. So I give you the word, you tell me a little anecdotal story, including that word. Okay. Does that make sense? Let's uh, review, let's do an example. <laughs> okay. If I give you the word student, okay. then I just looked on my wall, which is covered in old book papers. I saw student. So 
student, then you tell me an anecdotal story with that word in it, like about, it has to be true. But I was a student. And then you end your anecdotal story. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. And you end your anecdotal story with either hashtag bookish, hashtag writing while black, or hashtag writer's life. Okay. Now, you know, I'm in a pause. Let me find a pen and put them, write them. Oh, my word. <laughs> Wait a minute. Hashtag bookish. Hashtag writing while black. <laughs> hashtag writer's life. Hashtag writer's life. Oh, well, you, you think I'm laughing? You laughing? I'm serious. Oh, my God. Menopause is. I'm not far from you. Believe me. It's real. Wait a minute. And I don't see no pins in this desk. Hold on. Can you hold on for one second? Of course I can. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're fine. This, I'm telling you, this, this menopause is. Okay. Hashtag writer's life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hashtag bookish. And what was the other one? <laughs> Writing while black. Writing while black. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. You ready, Miss Ray? I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. You need a drink. Take a little drink of water, some tea. No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, your first word is sacred. Okay, sacred. Mm. See, now, I'm, I, I, you know, one thing you have to know about me is that I overthink everything. <laughs> I overthink everything. Um, this is not a game for overthinkers. All okay. Right. All right. Okay. So sacred. The most sacred time in my life. is when I had to say goodbye to my mom. Hmm. Hashtag black while writing. Writing while black, but I'm gonna give that to you. Writing while black, (laughs) okay. That's probably one of the most beautiful sentiments I've ever heard. Really? Yes, sacred time. Wow, that's beautiful. Okay. I'm trying not to tear up. That is I know, me too. Me too. Me too. I'm trying not to. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you, you you need to write that down somewhere. I'm serious. I'm you need to write that down so you can remember that. The most sacred time I had was saying goodbye to my mom. Okay, I'm gonna write it down. Take your voice. Yes. Yes. God, that's beautiful. Okay. That may be a nonfiction something there.
Hmm. Good on you. <laughs> Let's move on the other end of the spectrum now. <laughs> that, was heavy. that was kind of heavy. <laughs> yes, Lord. Yes, yes. Let's go to the other area now. Titillating. Let's move on to titillating. Ooh. Um, oh, God, you're going to make me be naughty. Wait a minute. <laughs> I never. Whatever. Oh, gosh. The most titillating time. I had in my life. Gosh. It could be a scene that you wrote. It could be anything titillating. Oh, okay. You're going to you editing this, right? <laughs> Who? You're going to edit that? No, wait a minute. I'm going to, I'm going to answer this question again because when you said it could be about the writing, I'm okay. Okay. All right. I got one. I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Act two. <laughs> I'll take two. <laughs> this is really one because I went outside my comfort zone. Okay. The most tiddly, tit I can't even say the word now. Okay. Now you're flustered. Now I'm flustered. <laughs> the most titillating time was the first scene, intimate scene between Sammy and Dexter. Because it was something I had never written before. Hashtag writing while black. Now you know. <laughs> I remember that scene. If I find it. You won't read it? You read it? You read it. No, I'm not reading it. <laughs> You hadn't read the. Oh. I know we had found we found one that we agreed upon, but no, I, mean, I didn't read that. Huh? It starts Did you it. write it? You wrote I, it. I, I wrote it, but oh, oh, no, 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 ma'am, I'm not reading it. <laughs> Why not? No, I'm hunting for it. Do you know where it is? I don't know where it is. I know I wrote. I, well, I mean, if I tell you, you're gonna know what it is. They were mutually pleasuring each other. Oh, yes, with numbers. <laughs> the numbers. <laughs> and I had never written anything like that. And I felt like I had to do that with Sammy because she was always the prim proper you yep. know and I'm like okay Sammy really is a can't make her lose her mind <laughs> yes I gotta find this thing because I that was one of my favorite scenes so yeah oh my word okay I can't find it but look I will find that scene and add it in post production and I, I mean obviously I'm going to read it but it's one of my favorite scenes and 
I would just put it in as this is Miss Riddick's most titillating scene to date because it's one of my favorites. So you don't usually write. I I do. I write love scenes. I do. I do write love scenes, but I've never written a couple doing a 69 before. Oh, well, I'm going to say this to you. Do not pick up any book with my name on it. Ooh, no, I'm going to pick them all up now. Wait a minute. <laughs> I, I do write explicitly. Yeah. I mean, so do I. I, do, I I feel like I do within, um, let me see, how can I put this? I, I, I feel like I write explicitly and it's okay if people write, cause I like reading raunchy, but for me, that's just not, you know what I'm saying? It's, it, it's just not, I'll, I'll read it. <laughs> I will read it. I will read it, but will I write it? I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of people have, have difficulty doing it. And then when they, I've had people come up to me and say, wait, I, you wrote that? I know, because you look like Sammy over there all prim and proper. <laughs> girl, I'm the bougiest country girl you ever going to meet. <laughs> I really am. I'm a bougie country girl. And so they're always like, that doesn't add up. Imagination. That's all. That, that's research. It. Lots and lots of research. That's it. Yeah. But I, I'm going to find that scene. Um, yeah. Delve a little deeper into titillation. You did good. Thank you. <laughs> I had no trouble envisioning what was happening with Dexter and Sammy. So good. <laughs> kudos. Kudos to you. Thank you. Um, your, your third word is originality. Mm. Can we do one another word and come back to that one? Yep. Okay. Um, I don't think I've ever done that before. You're the first one I'm skipping a word and coming back to. So you're uh well, you have not fourth... that's not. <laughs> I know, right? Your fourth word is redeemable. Oh, I love that word, redeemable. My next series is about three women who are going to have redeemable qualities after being villainous in a previous series. Hashtag writing while black. Hashtag bookish can i do two hashtags oh yes you can i love that Ooh. okay wait i want to ask you what does their name start with a k no no okay no okay this is from my very first series my love conquers all series and three of Three of them. Those villains. Okay. There's villains. So much reading to do. From those stories, and each each of them 
did some pretty. When I tell you my tagline is writing about imperfect people, finding perfect love, my people are, but they're, the series is based on three women who have done some pretty shisty things. And now that they're older and more mature, you know, they've grown. And that's what, that's another thing I love about writing. I feel like as humans, we're all capable of change and we're all capable of doing better. And what I might have done at 34, I didn't do at 44 or 54. Like I grew. Right. right. You no. Know? So, and that's what, I, and that's an, a, another one of my common threads in my books is like re, re, redeeming people. Like I, I just really feel like almost anyone is redeemable. That I chose that word just for you. Because mm -hmm. I got that sense. I did. I got that sense like with, with Dexter and like with the father, he messed up. But now that he, you know, the, the girls are still like all daddy's girls, you know, yes. and and like it's this idea that with enough support and enough like wherewithal from the person who, who seeks redemption, it can happen. And mostly it's probably through self-forgiveness and learning to love self first. Yes. I love that. Okay. Um, where am I? Okay. I want to go back to the word we skipped before I do my last okay. word. Okay. Um, originality. Sometimes in life, I'm not sure if originality actually exists mm. or do we reinvent the wheel with our own spin and perfecting it to meet our needs. Oh, 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 Miss Ma'am, that was worth the wait. Writer's life. <laughs> that was worth the wait. I get out of here. I'm not sure if originality exists or if we reinvent the wheel and perfect it to meet our needs. Why are you just throwing out little gems there? Yeah, because I think I that's know. why I had such a hard time with that word. Like, really, what have I done that was really original? And I don't think I've done anything that, you know, had originality, but I've certainly have taken things and perfected it to meet or suit my needs. So the word originality itself is almost a non-starter, right? If you think about it, originality doesn't necessarily exist. Yeah. Oh, now I'm going on a word nerd girl moment. We're going to nip that in the bud. I'll just go back to it in my journal for words and play around with this and the etymology of it. <laughs> You just, now I'm thinking like that doesn't make sense then that we have that word originality because it doesn't exist. I don't know. Why did you do that to me? <laughs> I'm supposed to be like, I said I was going to record this session because I've been burning both ends of the candle. I'm going to record this session. I'm going to go in. I'm just going to chill. I'll get my 
two and a half, three hours of writing in later on when my brain is 100% on. But now I got to go pull out my word journal. Mm, yeah. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. See You're that. welcome. Yeah, look at her. You're welcome. All right. Your last word is not so much a word um, as it is kind of a hmm, comparison. Yuck and yum. Tell me something that is a yuck for you and something that is a yum. Oh, 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 girl. Miss Ella, a uh, yuck for me is, have you ever walked on the floor that's sticky and your feet just everywhere you walk, you just hear this little like yucky stick, 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 stick every yes, time. You yes, <laughs> yes, just this weekend. And it just grabs you bananas. Yes. Yes. That's so yuck. That's I didn't even want to walk around. It's class reunion. I look so good. So good. 30 year class reunion. We're at this bar and they have carpet. Why would you put carpet in a bar? Yes. So you know. And it's just sticking to my little wedge. And I'm like, not a good look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that. That's a yuck. That's a yuck. Yeah, that gets the yuck face, definitely. All right, <laughs> please give me something that's going to make me smile real wide because I've given the yuck face. So give me something yummy, please. <laughs> okay, something yummy. Um, I'm trying. Something yummy. It's so many yummy things, though. Let's see. Um, <laughs> there are, it's so many because I've been so many yummy things. Oh, I got one. I got one. I got a yummy, and it's not even a food. Okay. Oh, my favorite kind of yum. Okay. Non-food items. It's it's not even. It's it, oh, my favorite yummy is a nice chunky baby when you kiss them like on the neck and they give you <laughs> kind of like giggles and I don't know that's that's just a yummy for me because I love chunky babies that my friend <laughs> is probably one of the best yums I've, I've had today <laughs> really I love that a good chunky baby because look I I love babies with rolls everywhere yes. everywhere and you just um, kiss them like right here on the neck and they just, yeah. they just giggle and, and they you grab your face them. and yeah, they're just, yeah. yeah. Just Why, is <laughs> Why is that you're young? Why is that you're young? Because I love babies. I just do. It's just something, um, you know, we all know that babies are, are innocent, you know, they're innocent little creatures and they're they're just so trusting and you know to me just like a, a baby smile can just make a bad day a better day like yeah. just like a you know just like a, a a happy a happy baby and um yeah you know that one of my guilty pleasures actually is um scrolling through instagram and seeing all the the little baby post and I just you know. my mom's like that 
it's just a happy place for me. <laughs> yeah, my mom is like that. I think um, my mom's a natural nurturer and she's like a mother mother. You know, mm-hmm. she hasn't met anyone that didn't end up calling her mom. That's how my mom was, yep. I am not like that at all. Okay, I think I'm lying. I'm lying. It's just older kids, yeah. yeah. I'm easily to nurture, easy, but I'm not a. I'm not that mothering type, I don't think. Like, I love babies, mm-hmm. especially when I can give them back. Yes. <laughs> Yes. That's um, when I love them the most. <laughs> when I can can get the love, get the good feels, and yes. give them back. Yes. Yeah. Bye. Yes. Okay. Great. That's you my did. You did. I think the time you took to think about everything, it was it was worth that. Um Good enough. Um, I asked on the intake form, who would you like to see on my on my couch? And that is your homework, Miss Reddick. Wouldn't be a great counselor if I didn't give you homework. Yes. So your homework <laughs> <laughs> is to tell me who my next guest should be. You want me to tell you right now? Yes, yes, ma'am. Uh, Victoria. Kennedy, wait a minute, she goes by um, two names. I know she may be writing under. Uh, wait a minute, let me find her. But she is uh, very underrated. Her stories are absolutely beautiful. Very underrated author um, who does not get enough recognition in my opinion um victoria adams kennedy okay and what's her genre romance or romance but like you said it kind of reads like women's fiction mm-hmm. yeah really yeah. good really good oh, oh very good okay yeah. well miss victoria adams kennedy uh suzette riddick has said you'd be great for a session so expect an email from me to be on Black Writer Therapy Podcast. I have enjoyed this and I'm so glad we were able to make it work today. Um, Thank you you so much. You are lovely. (laughs) So are you. I've really enjoyed our time together. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this session of Black Writer Therapy. Be sure to follow and leave a review wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And keep the conversations going on Instagram using our hashtag Black Writer Therapy. I'm your host and unlicensed therapist, Alishan, reminding you to be kindest to yourself first, always and in all ways. See you guys next week. Bye.